right, let's see, am I on? Okay. Uh, well, one summer during college, I was an intern for the mayor of Middleburg Heights. And the mayor there had, had been mayor for, I think, almost 40 years. And to put it delicately, the mayor was an eccentric guy. <laughs> we never really knew what he was going to do every day. And so one day, the other intern and me were sitting in the conference room working on whatever uh, project we were assigned. And the mayor had this secret door to the conference room, and he popped open one day, and he walked very methodically kind of around the table and then stopped, uh, had his arms crossed, his left hand resting right next to his caterpillar mustache. Um, and he took a deep breath and just said words. That's what he said. Just the word, words. And then he left the room. <laughs> uh, we didn't really know what lesson he was trying to impart to us. Uh, I still don't really know what lesson he was trying to impart to us. And the ironic thing is that the only word I remember the mayor speaking that summer is the word words. Um, but maybe the mayor's cryptic message that day is that words are a way bigger part of our lives than we realize. So, for example, there are an average of 6,000 tweets posted on the website Twitter. Not every hour. Not every minute, every second, 6,000 tweets. Between the internet, billboards, TV, radio, and other things, the average American is exposed to between 6,000 and 10,000 advertisements every single day. Not including what you read online and watch on TV, you hear an average of 25,000 words from other people every day. Now, those are just the words that you receive. What about the words that you speak? Well, they've done studies. On average, Americans open their mouths to speak 700 times a day. Even if you just cut that in half or a quarter, that's a lot. Words are a gigantic part of our lives. But even more than that, it is a weighty privilege to be able to receive and use words. This is a uniquely human capacity. I can train my dog, Annie, to hear and recognize certain sounds, but I can't train her to converse and relate to me with words. Our capacity to receive and use words shows how God made us unique. Unique in how we relate to him with our words and unique in how we reflect him with our words. Our words are a huge part of our lives and to be able to receive and speak words, it is a weighty privilege. The book of Proverbs recognizes both of these things. We've been going through Proverbs more or less at a survey level, trying to give a good introduction to the book as a whole. Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 are basically various poems extolling the virtue of wisdom. We define wisdom as a skill in the art of godly living. Now, from the beginning, Proverbs establishes that wisdom doesn't start with knowledge. Wisdom starts with worship, the fear of the Lord. Chapter 4 reminded us that wisdom is not first about external do's and don'ts. Wisdom is first about internal loves and desires. Wisdom starts in our hearts. Last week, Proverbs 8 pointed us to the wisdom that we ultimately need. Not a concept, but a person. Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh. He lived the wise life that you and I didn't live, and yet he died for our own foolishness. Jesus brings us back to God to in, so that we can enjoy God the way we were meant to, to enjoy him before sin. That's chapters 1 through 9. 
Now, Proverbs chapters 10 through 31 contain the content you probably think of when you think of Proverbs. Real short, pithy sayings that can kind of seem randomly sorted together sometimes, and sometimes they are, sometimes they're grouped together, but most of the times you have to survey the whole landscape and then certain themes emerge. One theme clearly emerges from chapters 10 to 31, and that's how we use our words, which is what we're going to talk about today. There are at least 90 Proverbs that deal with how we use our words. I included a lot of them in your handouts, in your bulletin, so you want to, it'll help you to reference that throughout our time this morning. But if we could summarize all of those verses, all of Proverbs' teaching on how we should use our words, we could take a crack at it and say this. Words have more power than we realize, so we must use them carefully. To do that, God must redeem you through his word and fill you with his word. Words have more power than we realize, so we must use them carefully. To do that, God must redeem you through his word and fill you with his word. We'll split our time today along the, the basic three parts of that main point. We'll talk about the importance of our words, what we should do with our words, and how we become people who use our words wisely. Think of it as the why, the what, and the how. So first, the why, the importance of our words. So I need you to help me out here just for a second if you can complete this phrase. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Words will never hurt me. Okay, you guys did a good job. Most of you know that. But if you know that, let me ask you, is that true? Absolutely not. I bet some of your deepest wounds uh, come from the hurtful words that people have said to you. I bet it's true for a lot of us that, that many of us rehearse some of the worst things that people have said to us. For me, this is a very trivial example. It's just the first one I thought of when putting this together. When I was 10 years old, I played for a travel baseball team, and we were really good that year. We almost went undefeated. We got to the championship game against our rival, Brunswick, and I, I hit a home run in that game. Um, now, it's not like I became a Rhodes Scholar. You don't have to uh, pump me up that much. But I would think in the moment it was a good thing, nonetheless. Um, but I'll never forget what my head coach said to me After I hit the ball, I rounded third. I was about to head home. After I hit this home run, he didn't say good job. He didn't congratulate me in any way. He kind of had it out for me the whole year. What he said to me just very sarcastically is like, hey, that was just a nice fly ball. And then I went home. Um, That's the only thing I remember him saying to me. And I remember it some 20 years later. So uh, words are important because they have potential. They have potential to help or they have potential to hurt. Perhaps no other verse on this list summarizes this uh, better than Proverbs 18, verse 21, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Words are important because they have potential. Your words have potential to hurt people more than you realize. Look at the first part of Proverbs 12, verse 18. It says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. And we talked about this verse on Wednesday night. I think this verse is especially true for the people who are closest to you, people who you know the best. Our words have increased power to hurt those people because we know the cracks in their armor. 
right? If our words are the sword thrusts, we know the exact vulnerable points, how to use our words and where to thrust that sword. And I bet you are probably on the receiving end of that and the, the giving end of that. Your words can hurt people more than you realize. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 28. It says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Think about what we can do with our words. With our words, we can convince people of a version of reality that is not true, but that serves our own agenda. With our words, we can ruin the reputation of other people. With our words, we can forfeit precious friendships. I wonder in your own life if you have relationships that have been broken. I wonder in your own life if you have friendships that you have lost. Maybe it's because of something somebody did, but I bet it's often the case it's because of something somebody said. Your words are important because they can hurt people more than you realize. But it cuts the other way too. Your words are important because they have potential to help people more than you realize. Back to Proverbs 18, 21. It's not just death that's in the power of the tongue. It's also life that's in the power of the tongue. Again, back to Proverbs 12, 18. Yeah, uh, harsh words are like sword thrusts, but it also says the tongue of the wise brings healing. So I bet you can remember some of the worst things that people have said to you. But I also bet you can remember some of the best things that people have said to you. I bet you can remember some of the most healing words someone said to you when you were hurting. Your words have potential to help people more than you realize. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word lifts him up. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want to be simplistic and read this verse. It said that Proverbs are more like principles than they are promises. We have to remember all that the Bible says about hardship. And it's, it's not that all we need to lift us up out of anxiety is just a quick positive word. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that the right word from the right person at the right time can have way more of an effect than you realize. I'll show you an example, uh, an example from the Bible. You can turn there if you'd like. First Samuel 23. You have to flip backwards, uh, flip past Chronicles, flip past Kings, and then flip past Second Samuel, get to First Samuel 23. First Samuel 23, at this point in the book, David's not king yet. He's been a fugitive for several months. David's meteoric rise in Israel garnered the ire of the fickle King Saul. Saul's been so mad at David that he has hurled javelins at him on multiple occasions. So now David's on the run, 1 Samuel 23, and Saul's son, Jonathan, who would have been the rightful heir to his dad's throne, he comes to comfort David, who is his friend. Jonathan has no power to change David's circumstances. But you know what Jonathan's able to do? He's able to speak to his friend. He's able to use his words. Jonathan tells David, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father knows this. What was the effect of Jonathan's words? First Samuel 23 verse 16 says, Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. 
just by his words. Your words have potential to help people more than you realize. Now, when I think about my words, I usually tend to think I just need to avoid all the saying harmful things. And maybe that's not a wrong way to think about it. But if we just left it there, my guiding principle would simply be, all right, don't be a jerk. But I think we could do better than that. And I think the Bible holds up a higher bar than that. It's not just that we want to have an absence of negative words. We want to have a presence of positive words. Our words are important not just because they have potential to hurt people. They're important because they have potential to really help people, too. So all this basically is a long argument to get you to care about the words you use. They are not inconsequential. They are important. But just in case you're not yet convinced, I'll give you two bonus reasons why your words are important. Bonus reason number one, your words are important because your words reveal what's in your heart. Remember Proverbs 4.23 says that from our hearts flow the fountains of life. Our words flow downstream from what we love the most and desire the most. Maybe to put it differently, if you have a potty mouth, you might have a potty heart. Jesus understood this as well. Matthew 12.34 says, uh, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you, don't, uh, if you don't care about the words you use, let me convince you. Bonus reason number two. Your words are important because God cares about the words you say. God cares about the words you say. Look at Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Once again, Jesus understood this as well. Just a couple verses later in Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's a scary verse, isn't it? You should care about the words you use. They are important. So what should you do with your words? I'm glad you asked. If you, want to, if you want to give life with your words, if you want to help rather than to hurt, if that's your goal, if that needs to be in place, well, then you should use your words in at least four ways. This is summarizing Proverbs instructions. The first way you should use your words is you should use your words slowly. No, I'm not talking about how fast you speak. I'm talking about how soon you speak. Look at Proverbs 17, 28. Might be my favorite verse in the whole list. It says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. President Abraham Lincoln said, it is better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Part of using your words effectively is knowing when you shouldn't use your words. I think about the book of Job and Job's friends. Job's friends did really well when they just sat in silence and solidarity with their friend Job. You know when they got in trouble? When they started talking. When you use your words slowly, uh, you save yourself from useless arguments and distracting debates. When you use your words slowly, you don't have to jump to give your opinion on every issue. 
When you use your words slowly, you don't have to rebut every opponent or everything that ticks you off. When you use your words slowly, you more easily preserve the long-term relationship with another person instead of sacrificing it on the short-term expense of proving your point. When you use your words slowly, here's what happens. You have time to listen. Proverbs 18, verse 3. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Friends, to be good speakers, we first have to be good listeners. Now tell me if this has happened to you, because I, I know it's happened to me. I'll be in conversation with somebody, and I have tuned out that person. Maybe because they talk a lot, maybe because I'm bored. But what happens is, the conversation, whenever they talk, I'm just thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. That, that's what the conversation entails. But that's not interaction. That's not, di- that's not uh, dialogue. That's mo- two monologues that are just broken up with various breaks in between. No, instead, using your words slowly doesn't mean you're sitting passively. It means you're listening actively. And often the first thing that should come out of your mouth when you open your mouth is not a statement, is a question. When you use your words slowly, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna have time to listen. When you use your words slowly, you're gonna have time to think. Proverbs 15, 28 says that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Using your words well means you care, you care more about making your words count than increasing your word count. When you, are, when you slow down to think before you speak, you have a better chance to use your words effectively and efficiently. So my guess is that a lot of our trouble when it comes to our speech is that we speak too quickly and we don't slow down. A lot of our trouble just starts here. I think of another example from the Bible. I think of Moses in the wilderness, Numbers chapter 20. The Israelites have been bugging Moses for almost 40 years. God has provided for them time and time again, and yet these Israelites still complain time and time again. Moses, we don't got enough water. Moses, we don't got enough food. And they throw out the same old attacks time and time again. Moses, you and your idiot brother brought us out here in the desert to die. Moses one day finally had enough. Moses, we don't have enough water. You're trying to kill us. And so God tells Moses, you know, Moses, all you need to do is look at this rock. Speak to it. I'll give you water from it. And Moses says, you know what? No, I've had enough with these people. They they are disrespecting me. I'm going to strike this rock. You want some water? I'll give you some water. What happened? Psalm 106 reflects on this and says Moses spoke rashly or quickly with his lips. Moses didn't slow down. Now, this isn't a silver bullet solution, but I do think it's wise. I've heard it said that the difference between a reaction and a response is three seconds. The difference between a reaction and a response is three seconds. So let me ask the kids of the room, anybody who's still living with their mom or their their dad, if your parents are upsetting you in some way, if you're tempted to talk back at them, if you're tempted to complain, what difference would it make that before you open your mouth to speak, you counted to three? Spouses, husbands and wives, when the other person does something that you don't like, 
that ticks you off when you sense the argument's about to escalate. Now, this isn't a silver bullet solution, but I do think it can make a difference. Before you open your mouth to counter three, the difference between a reaction and a response is three seconds. If we want to use our words well, because our words are so important, we want to use our words to bless, to help, not hurt. The second way we should use them is that we should use our words honestly. We should use our words slowly. We should use our words honestly. Now, while we are slow to use our words, we do need to use our words. And when we use our words, we should be committed to telling the truth. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 26. It says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Look again at Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. All right, so here, comparing and contrasting the effects of honesty and the effects of dishonesty. The effects of telling the truth is that it blesses other people. Lying harms people. That's why it's so bad. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. One pastor writes this, lying is so bad, is so evil, because true, sincere, honest words are what bind us together in community. True words make love and trust and intimacy possible, but false words conceal us from one another. Even as we might go on faking community, role-playing community outwardly, while something else is really going on in our hearts. In other words, truth binds us together. Lies divide us apart. Truth brings us close. Lies keep us at a distance. So to use our words well, we commit to using our words honestly. And when we commit to do that, friends, we don't put up with dishonest words. When we commit to honesty, we don't put up with, with dishonesty. Look at Proverbs 17.4. You're going to be surprised by this verse. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Did you catch that there? Did you read it closely? It's not just the person who lies that sins. It's also the person who puts up with lies that sins. I've heard it said that what you permit, you promote. What you permit, you promote. You could apply that to your home. You could apply that to your church. Friends, the danger is that dishonest words are more than just easy to permit. They're desirable. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 8. Dishonest words are tasty. They're like delicious morsels. They go down smooth. We like gossip. Or as the kids put it, we like the hot goss. We like dishonest speech. We like flattery. Uh, but that's a form of dishonesty. Proverbs 29.5 says that a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. I've heard uh, simple, very general definitions of gossip and flattery, forms of dishonest speech. I've heard that gossip is anything that you'll say about someone behind their back that you would never say to their face. And flattery is anything that you would say to somebody's face that you would never say behind their back. Proverbs 16, 28 says that dishonest speech spreads strife. So the only way that dishonest speech can spread is if people permit it and put up with it. 
So rubber hits the road. When somebody tells you a rumor about someone else, when someone has a criticism or a complaint about someone else, especially in the church, would you encourage him or her to go to that person directly and maybe even offer, if you need help, I'll go with you. When we use our words honestly, we don't put up with dishonesty. But the thing is, we don't just put up with dishonesty from other people. We don't put up with dishonesty from ourselves. Using your words honestly means sometimes you need to honestly admit when you're wrong. Along the lines of Proverbs 24, 26, doesn't a humble and honest confession kiss the lips? A sincere apology are honest words that can rebind what lies have divided. So my friend, if you, have, if you sense that you have wronged somebody, don't let just time heal the wound. Do what you can to use your words to heal the wound as well. When we use our words honestly, we honestly admit the limit of our words. We honestly admit the limit of our words. Look at Proverbs 14, 23. It says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. You and I know this. You can learn all the right words to say, to convince and fool other people. But your words are nothing if they don't follow through with actions. I wonder, for example, for those who claim with their words that they follow Jesus. My friend, are those, are those mere words or do they represent what you really love and desire? If you claim with your words that you follow Jesus, well, my friend, the warning is that even the demons know the right words to say about Jesus. If you claim to follow Jesus with your words, follow through and show that with your actions. Obey Christ's instruction to get baptized. Obey Christ's instruction to follow him among a local church. The actions we do either confirm or deny the words we say. We should use our words well. If we're wanting to use our words to bless others, the third way we should use them is we should use our words calmly. We should use our words calmly. Well-known proverb on this list is 15 verse 1. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now listen, we read the rest of the Bible. There are moments when it's right to be angry. We read the rest of the Bible. There are moments when it's right to be firm. But the Bible also says that when possible, we should be at peace with all men. So if we're going to use our words to help and not hurt, to bless and not curse, we should generally be people who work to turn down the temperature rather than turn up the temperature. So just picture this scenario. You're in a tense conversation. It seems like there is a fire brewing. You have two options, my friend. You can use your words to fuel the fire or you can use your words to try to quench the fire. You can either just set out to win the argument or you can set out to win the person. Now, last time I checked, you usually don't win over people by screaming at them and belittling them. Remember what we've already said. If you're going to answer calmly, you're probably going to need to slow down with how you use your words. And if you're going to be not just honest, but effectively honest, you're going to need to be calm and not harsh. 
You can find an example of a calm word turning away wrath, again, from the life of David. And another, another example from the Bible, just a couple chapters later, 1 Samuel 25. In 1 Samuel 25, David and his men are still on the run, and they're famished. And they stumble upon a rich guy's land. This guy's name is Nabal. They seem, it seems like Nabal's got plenty to share. So David gets a message to Nabal. Hey, Nabal, do you think you can help us out? In fact, I think we ran into some of your guys and we helped them out. So it'd be nice if you could have some food and other things. Nabal responds to David with a harsh word. The chapter leaves no doubt. It calls him harsh and badly behaved. Nabal essentially tells Dave, uh, David, Who the heck are you, David? I've never heard of you. I'm not giving any of my stuff to you, you freeloader. Nabal's harsh word stirred up David's wrath. David's a warrior and he's ready to go to war. But in steps Abigail, Nabal's wife. She gives David a soft answer. She takes the blame for her foolish husband. She apologizes on his behalf. She offers an olive branch gift to David And her soft word turns David's wrath away. Like Abigail, we should use our words calmly. Fourth way we should use our words, we should use our words tactfully. Tactfully. I'm not talking about the sticky tack you use to hang up posters. I'm talking about tact, T-A-C-T. It's a word we don't use often because it's a word that's foreign to our current moment. I've heard tact defined as the art of making a point without trying to make an enemy. So often it's it's both of those lumped together today, isn't it? I got to make my point and I have to own my enemy. The art of making a point without trying to make an enemy. Tact means we don't just say the right words. We say them at the right time and in the right way. When we use our words tactfully, Proverbs says it is precious and life-giving. Proverbs 25, verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs 25, 25, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now, my friend, to use your words tactfully, you need to be able to read the person and you need to be able to read the moment. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says that a person of understanding can draw out a person's heart. So if you're going to use your words tactfully, then you're going to need to perceive what is going on in this other person's heart. Now, to do that, I've gotten some help from a book called Side by Side, written by Dr. Ed Welch. He counsels how to draw out someone's hearts, just listening for certain things. To draw out someone's heart, listen for what's important to them. When you identify what's important, slow down and ask for details. Slow down when you spot the good in somebody and savor in it for a moment. Slow down when you spot the hard and painful. Ask the person what it's been like. Ask if they're willing to share more. Ask what's been the most helpful in dealing with it. Build your skill to use your words tactfully. Now, when we don't do this, when we fail to use our words tactfully, we'll be like the person in Proverbs 25 verse 20 will sing songs to heavy hearts. We'll fail to read the person. We'll fail to read the moment. A person grieving at a funeral doesn't need to act like you're at Chuck E. Cheese. I have a family member who talked talked to my cousin the morning after her dad had suddenly died in the same house, right? And she comes up to her, sits her down, and tells her, 
I think now is a good time that you think seriously about where you're going to spend eternity. Are those honest words? Yeah. They were even calm words in the moment. Oh, but they were not tactful words. You want to learn how to use your words tactfully? My friend, read of Jesus. Read of Jesus speaking with a woman at the well, John 4. Read of Jesus speaking with a rich young ruler in Mark 10. Jesus speaks honestly, calmly, tactfully. He says the right words at the right time, at the right way. He can read the moment. He can read the person. We should use our words well. Now, uh, this past Monday, I had the chance to go golfing. Uh, And just by a show of hands, uh, how many of you have ever swung a golf club and tried to hit a golf ball? Okay? All right, a lot of the people in this room. So if you've done it before, I hear hear the laugh already. You know that it's a lot harder than it looks. It looks really simple, but it's really hard. Now, I'm just good enough at golf where I can occasionally hit the ball and it goes far and straight. And I know all the parts of a good golf swing, but I can rarely put them all together. And when I do, I have no idea how I did it. And I can never replicate it. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to Proverbs instructions about words. Like, I know all the parts. I'm not as bad as I maybe as I could be. And occasionally I put them together so that they work well. But boy, is it hard. Like my golf swing, there is just a thousand and one ways that I can, I can do something wrong. So if you told me that you've mastered the game of golf, I wouldn't believe you. If you've told me that you've mastered these instructions about words, I wouldn't believe you either. How do we become people who use words wisely? Friend, you need more than these instructions. If you think all you need are just a few tips and a few pointers, that's like saying all you need to fix your golf swing is a new set of golf clubs. The problem is deeper than that. You read it from the book of James. James says that no human being can tame the tongue. It also says that at the end of the passage we read that a salt pond can't yield fresh water. So that means if you're going to purify your words, you must purify the source of your words, your heart. So how do you become a person who uses words wisely? How do you become a person who uses your words to help and not to harm, to use them slowly, honestly, calmly, and tactfully? Well, beyond just practice, two realities need to be in place if you're going to use your words wisely. God must redeem you through his word, and God must fill you with his word. Reality one, quickly, to become a person who uses words wisely, God must redeem you through his word. You can turn there with me if you'd like. 1 Peter 1, chapter 20, verses 23 to 25. 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So made new, born again through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Proverbs twelve eighteen says that the tongue of the wise brings healing. The wise healing words you and I ultimately need don't come from people, they come from God. Proverbs 12, 25 says that a good word lifts a man up. The good word you and I ultimately need is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
the good news that though you have used your words to hurt people and to harm people, Jesus never did. That the good news, the good word is the good news that there is no deceit in Jesus' mouth, that no one ever spoke like him. The good word is the good news that unlike Proverbs 13, verse 3, Jesus kept his mouth shut and his life was ruined. But it was to go to the cross to pay the debt for every bitter word of all those who would trust in him. The good word that lifts us up is the good news that though others have cursed you, Jesus has absorbed all of God's curse for you. The good word that lifts you up is the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. He makes new all those who are united to him by faith. He can change the source of your heart from salt water that produces death to fresh water that produces life. If you're going to be a person who uses words wisely, God must redeem you through his word. And Jesus is that word who took on flesh. Reality two, to become a person who uses words wisely, God must redeem you through his word and God must fill you with his word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This doesn't mean that you thoughtlessly quote Bible verses for any and every moment. This does mean that God's words, not your words, should be your guide. We who have been redeemed by God's word should be filled with God's word. Be filled with the instructions we talked about today. Even these instructions should shape our intuitions for how we speak to people. God's word should shape our instincts for how we help people. Friend, do you want to be a a person who uses their words wisely? Make your goal to be like John Bunyan the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Spurgeon said of Bunyan that when you pricked him, he would bleed Bible. Be what you filled with the most. When you are poured over, there's just pour out scripture. Our words are important. Through our words, we have the chance to give some measure of life and healing to people. Friend, there is no better way to do that than for our words to be seasoned with the word of Christ. As we've talked a lot about our own words, we should remember what's true about Jesus's words, that Jesus alone has the words of life. Let's pray. Our God and Father, today we stand on every promise of your word and Your word is like a two-edged sword that cuts us to the core. We cannot walk away from this portion of your scripture feeling confident in ourselves. Oh, Lord, we we are very convicted. We have not used our words slowly. We've been too quick to speak. We have not used our words honestly. We have, we've been dishonest. We've used our words to lie and to deceive. We haven't even been fully truthful. God, we've even been, we've even shut our mouths when we should open our mouths. God, we haven't used our words calmly. We've been wrongfully angry in using our words. God, we haven't used our words tactfully or, or thoughtfully. We haven't considered how the person will receive. We've just blurted our words out. God, we are helpless on our own. We need you. 
Would you please bring to life the, the, and, and vivify the new life you have given us in Jesus? Help us to reflect him with our words. Help us to relate to others with our words the way he did. Do this by the power of your spirit for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.